Thank you very much. Thank you for those gathered. <laughs> Morning. It's Wednesday the 11th of April. I've got it. That's good, isn't it? Um, and we're coming right to the end now of the Psalms of Ascent that we started months ago. <laughs> and we're actually on 133 and 134 now. And um, as I've intimated already, I think the Lord wants to go to fellowships next time. Uh, to teach us what it really means to be a group of people that are called out from various different uh, denominations and walks of life. But he wants to teach us about what he wants to do in us and through us uh, in these days. So when we looked last week at Psalm 132 and indeed at Psalm 131, we saw that Psalm 131 was about humility and Psalm 132 was about passion. And we saw that pilgrimage plus passion propels us. Um, and I just want to spend a little bit of time having a look at what it propels us into uh, before we look at Psalms um, 133 and 134. Uh, there's a huge cry going up to the Bride of Christ right now. It's time to rise up and take what God's holding out. And there's a tremendous prophecy in um, Graham's new book who if you remember there was a prophecy right in the back of the other one uh, Sue drew my attention to it so I went straight to the back of this one to see what was in the back of that because I thought I'm not going to be shortchanged this time um, and I'll read you as much as it seems right because it's quite long but it will speak to you all in some area or another and so this is what God is saying to the church right now. It's my intention to personalize my grace in such a way that you are empowered in specific so that rapid growth is the norm. I give you, are you, is it all alright over there? I give you favor so that you may know that you have special consideration for my intentional desire to take place even in the ordinary things of life. I am indulging myself so that you will become highly confident towards me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. I have given you permission to dream and to make requests for specific issues, problems, situations and circumstances. Favour is now being actively promoted by the Holy Spirit and equally contested by the enemy. Favour is permission to ask, seek, knock in the sure and certain knowledge that God will say yes. Your life therefore is about getting to yes. I will take your favour into a high and deep place of confidence in my goodness so that a greater faith anointing begins to grow in you. In this place of my indulgence I will teach you how to stand in the place of my desire. Your favour means you will stand in my presence and hear my heart saying yes. I will teach you to make a new beginning in the place of my victory over the enemy of your soul. I will develop in you the capacity to receive favour from people round about you. 
you will come to bask in my desire for you. I will indulge myself in your heart, your mind and your life. My desire shall be made known and they shall become your dreams. My will shall be revealed and you will walk in the awe of it, discovering the full majesty of my intent. I am intentional, says the Lord. I am intentional, says the Lord. I am intentional, says the Lord. Anybody that knows him, if he says it more than once, he really means it and he wants you to hear it. When he repeats it, someone has once said that if, if uh, an editor looked at the Bible, he'd take half of it out because God repeats himself so much. But he has to, doesn't he, because we don't hear him. I mean, I just, <laughs> I was nearly flat out this morning when I read this. My intentionality will become your identity. And you will walk as Jesus walked, in the full knowledge and permission of the Father. My indulgence creates a new identity in you and draws you out to a more powerful inheritance than you can possibly imagine. Those of you who know me know I'm looking at inheritance right now. I'm looking at kingdom, I'm looking at inheritance. I want to know what these things mean. Um, I think that uh, um, the enemies had these things locked up in little boxes and we haven't been able to find out what it means to be part of the kingdom church we hear plenty about kingdom we hear nothing about an inheritance what's that so i want to find out in this place of my and when i find out i shall spew it out to anybody who listen <laughs> in this place of my indulgent affection i will teach you the pleasurable discipline of working hand in hand with the Holy Spirit. You will know who you are in me, for I shall declare and proclaim your identity joyfully. Your faith will come to a new dynamic level of anointing to receive. I will push you into a deep place of receiving. I will joyfully position you in my manifest presence so that you will begin to occupy the territory of my heart and affection you come rest in my desire for you accept my benevolence depend on my desire to see you blessed the time of poverty is over the place of fainting is behind you now you will see provision beyond imagining now you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living stand in this place Recognize the place of your dreaming is also the place of your permission because I am indulging myself. Adversity will come to unseat you from wild favor. Warfare will contend with your promise. Neither will be able to remove you from the place of my continuous indulgence. In other words, expect trouble, girls, because it will come. But if you stand, uh, he will cause you to stand. Uh, so what a promise come rest in my favor do not delay I bestow upon you a newness of life and a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would walk in agreement with me it's an affair of the heart so you must think from the heart not the head do not be headstrong but heartfelt lead from the heart and you will see the way the provision and the indulgence I'm reading all of this can't leave any of it out Behold, I mark the territory of your life with the claim pegs of victory. 
Each peg represents a desire of mine for you to enjoy. Learn to live by my focus and my permissions. I say yes and amen to you. 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 You are a new creation living in a high place of my approval and my consent. My indulgence is my gift to my beloved. You are my great love and I will deny you nothing that my great heart would willingly bestow. Rise up, my love, and see yourself as my beloved. You are the one. You are the one. You are the one. I have set my heart on you. There is no rejection, only inclusion. Expect favour. Expect my desire to be powerfully realised. I will take your breath away. You will be astonished. You will marvel and ama be amazed. Expect favour. Be upgraded. Change your current mindset. Learn a new language. Be trained to receive fullness. Measure no longer exists for you. Limitation has been cast aside. All things are for your favour and to prove my desire for you. Refuse negativity. Begin to run. I will make you fit for life. I will give you the stamina required to run with a quickened spirit. All your circumstances are now compatible with my desire. All situations are in agreement with my indulgent. So ask and you will receive. You are deeply, deeply loved and acceptable to me. My heart is full towards you. Now you must take me at my word. My indulgence is knocking at the door of your heart. Do not be governed by past failures and events. This is a new day. This is a new day. This is a new day. It is a new time. It is time to live a life overwhelmed. It's time to increase the speed of your response. Say yes and come. Do not hang back or my heart can take no pleasure in you. It's no risk if you come. There is only risk in the place of deliberation. If your head rules your heart, you will be denied by your own caution. Joy, thanksgiving and rejoicing is the means by which you will both access and appropriate my desire. This is, this is, this is the change. This is not about you. This is not about you. This is not about you. It's my turn now. I love this. It's my turn now. I will bless your name and make your name great and you will be a blessing. Come up higher. Come to the place of your elevation. I lift you up. I lift you up. My indulgence surrounds you as a shield. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. You are the seed of heaven and I plant in you this night in the soil of my heartfelt and I plant you this night in the soil of my heartfelt indulgence. I will water your passion and everything that I have promised the sun shall come to you. I shall give you all you need to grow and be fruitful in my desire. My indulgence is activated, it is released, it walks among you. Allow it to touch you, to shape your destiny, to develop your inheritance. Do not say, it is too much, 
I am not good enough, I cannot enter, it's moving too fast, or any other permutation that you like to add in there. You may enter by my permission, not your performance. There's a relief. Look to me and I will accelerate you. Make me the lord of your destination and I will get you there. This is the same miracle as deliverance from Egypt, parting of the Red Sea, the provision of houses they did not build, vineyards they did not plant, wells they did not dig. All these I did for Israel. Shall I not do more for you who are in Christ? Walk towards me asking, walk towards me believing, walk towards me seeing, walk towards me receiving. Behold, I challenge your believing. I provoke your heart to dream and desire. I stimulate your thinking to go to the place of risk and renewal. I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. Again, anyone who knows me, I've been saying that the Lord is saying, I'm coming to get you. <laughs> coming ready or not. To woo you into a life unprecedented. To court you, my beloved, with passionate desire. Come away with me to a new land of the Spirit, where promises are the language of love between us. This is the day of the Lord. Now is the accepted time. Your present and future has been decided and determined in my heart and permission. Take you a while to work through that one. But it's come up higher. Come up higher. Do you remember our first conference? Come up higher, one of the conferences. Women of Destiny, come up higher, and something else. I can't remember the third one. But the same message is coming across. It's there. Okay. Oh, lovely. Off we go then. Um, I mean, that takes some taken in really and as I say I only looked at it first thing this morning but it really lines right up with what we're looking at that passion and pilgrimage propel us and, and God's propelling us into a different place in him um, on a different note when I was away down with um, uh, Ruth uh, Travis down in uh, Torquay some months ago I picked up this book called Wake in the Dead um, have you read it? Uh, and I didn't understand this when I first read it, but reading and listening to other things, I'm understanding what he's saying. What he's actually saying is this is the church, waking the dead. And um, Bob Mumford has got a saying that he calls alive and free. Um, and he talks about the fact that Jesus was the only person that was fully alive and fully free. Um, and lining that up with what this man is saying, I now understand what he was saying. Um, and I'll just read this. It, it's obviously it's from a book that I know not. Some of you m may know it. It's called The Perfect Storm. Um, and it's a measurement about the degree of consciousness. And um, Bob Mumford talks about the degree of consciousness of the church, alive and free, times zero or 
properly alive. And suddenly I matched these two up. I said to the girls last night, I'm a bit like a mincing machine. I take in big chunks of stuff from all sorts of different places, mince them up and then bring them out as sausages <laughs> <laughs> of all sorts of different ingredients and bits from here and bits from there, you know, but it's minced into small pieces so as you can understand it. It goes through the process of me so that I can bring it into a place where I can understand it, which probably means that I can translate that into something other people can understand. So this, is this when I first read it, did not understand at all, couldn't see the point of it. But suddenly this plopped into place. So if you put it in, in the context of alive and free, being completely free means that there is nothing holding you. To the extent that you have anything in your life that holds you, it is a bondage. And God wants you free. And I don't mean by that eating or fags or that sort of thing. It's relationships that can hold us. And Bob Mumford spoke about the time when his son had been in a motorcycle accident. They didn't know whether he was going to live or die. But the way that God had put them through the ringer and through the straight place, stripping absolutely everything off of them, when they stood in the waiting room to see how he was, both he and his wife just worshipped. That is freedom. Because our love, whether we like it or not, is eros. Uh, it's, it is self-referential. It holds on to the thing that it wants for whatever reason. So the way to become free is to allow the Lord to prize those things off of our, out of our hands because while we're holding them, we cannot hold what he wants to give us. It's like the story that Graham tells, isn't it? Uh, his younger son, uh, Seth. Birthday. Let's look in your toy cupboard then, Seth. Lots of toys in there, packed, jam-packed with toys. Some of them I'll have to go. So the other, is it Ben, the other son, walking past the door, says, ask for a bigger cupboard. <laughs> so Graham says, cupboard smabbered. He doesn't want another cupboard. He wants a bigger toy. But he's looking at it and he's saying, sweetheart, I cannot give you the bigger toy while all this stuff's in here. You're going to have to get rid of something. So he leaves it to Seth to think about this. A few days later, he is bump, 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 coming down the stairs, and it's Seth with a bag full of toys. He's no slouch. He said he's going to have a garage sale on the lawn, isn't he? So he puts all his toys out there that he doesn't want and sells them off, and then Dad buys him a bigger one. So God's like that with us. Unless we will let go of the thing that is sticking to our fingers, he cannot give us. And this word that is promising us so much is going to mean we've got to let go of things. Because there's no way we can hold them both. They cannot be attached to this world and be walking in the heavenly places at the same time. Things have got to go. Um, I read a bit of that this morning and I felt the Lord was saying, come with me to the heights of Amarna. Because I prayed, Lord, make my feet, hinds feet on high places. Uh, and I could see these mountains and, as, as, and stepping across the mountains. And so therefore, seeing from a different perspective, because you're up higher, and come with me from the hearts of, heights of Amarna, those of you that know it is from Song of Songs, verse 4. Um, because he wants to take us up higher, and to do so means we've got to drop the baggage. Uh, the minute that we go to be with him, the baggage will mean nothing. Again, those of you that know me know I've had this experience of seeing into the future and wanting to get rid of this baggage, and the baggage was my body. It was like a backpack. And I tell you, the second that you go to be with him, 
everything that concerns you now will be as nothing. So we've got to walk in that now. That is the freedom. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And I saw it just before I came into a very difficult time. And because I'd seen that, I walked through the difficult time without it destroying me. My son had just got married three months into his marriage. He had an affair with someone else, broke up the marriage. Um, and the girlie that broke up the marriage is the one he's married to now. Um, but I knew nothing of this at the time that I saw this thing coming. Uh, and so I had my sights, if you like, on eternity when I walked through the difficulty with Stephen. I didn't walk as well as I could have done or as well as I would have done now because I didn't um, understand where he was coming from. And um, so I was not as helpful as I could have been. And he really didn't have anywhere else to turn. But that's hindsight, isn't it? So here we are. When Spillane, the perfect storm, treats injured seamen offshore, one of the first things he evaluates is their degree of consciousness. The highest level, known as alert and oriented times four, describes almost everyone in an everyday situation. They know who they are, where they are, what the time is and what's just happened. If someone suffers a blow to the head, the first thing they lose is recent events. Alert and oriented times three. And the last thing they lose is their identity. A person who has lost all levels of consciousness right down to their identity is said to be alert and oriented times zero. His understanding of the world is reduced to the fact that he exists, nothing more. Almost simultaneously, he understands that he's in excruciating pain. For a long time, that is all he knows. John Spillane is a para-rescue jumper sent into the North Atlantic into the worst storm of the 20th century. The perfect storm, as the book and the film called it, to rescue a fisherman lost at sea. When his helicopter goes down, he is forced to jump into pitch blackness from an unknown height, and when he hits the water, he's going so fast it's like hitting the pavement from 80 feet above. He is dazed and confused, just as we are when it comes to the story of our lives. It's the perfect analogy. We have no idea who we really are, why we're here, what's happened to us, or why. Honestly, most days we are alert and oriented times zero. <laughs> he says there's about three days in the year when he's alert and oriented times four. I didn't understand it until I started to see about um, Bob Mumford saying alive and free. Uh, do you want me to stop? Stop. Back on again. Yeah, I mean, I, I really believe that God is downloading stuff so fast um, that we just got to listen, hear what he's saying, know that he will repeat it and take in what we can <clears throat> because um, it's it's impossible to take notes. I listen sometimes to what I've said on a Wednesday and I don't remember saying the things that I've said so I have to hear as well to find out what's God's saying uh, there was a tremendous acceleration and, and what else there is an acceleration in I find personally is I'll read something just a couple of lines of it and I understand what he's talking about it's straight in and I'm there because in my spirit he's been feeding this in what I read just articulates 
what what he's been feeding in. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. It comes to your ears afterwards almost because it's your spirit that is receiving it and the spirit will transfer that into your understanding and thence be able to speak it out. That's why I was saying how I'm like a, um, um, a sausage mincing machine. All these bits of information come in and I, I take them in, I process them, then I chop them up and mix them up with a few herbs and spices and they come out nice spicy sausages and they say, cool, I haven't tasted sausages like this before. Because they're mixed. They're... No, your spirit is taking it in. And also, if you're not rece used to receiving at this level of revelation, you will find that very difficult with your mind. Because uh, the, the revelation that is coming out from here is, is high. So you'll find at first you're thinking, wait a minute, what do you mean by that? Yes, 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 yeah, yeah. Something's opening up, speaking around. That's it. Distracted, yeah. Yeah, that's okay, yeah. So, okay, perhaps, uh, uh, so there we are. <laughs> Alert and oriented times zero. <laughs> I just thought that was so interesting. I want to read that book again. I don't read many books at all, except the Bible. Um, and uh, But that one, I thought, he's got something here um, that I'm interested in. And, and uh, it's waking the dead. The church is asleep. We've been put to sleep because we've been put to sleep by the enemy, really. Sleeping Beauty, yeah, I had a picture of that last week, Sleeping Beauty, and Jesus, I want to get the book so I can read the story, yeah, yeah, Jesus coming to kiss his bride awake, sometimes I feel I want to kick her awake, but that's not very nice, uh, because the Lord's also been speaking to me about shepherds, uh, and uh, what the role of shepherds are uh, in within the context, the church context, and I don't see much of shepherds because I, I don't go to a, a local church. But that which I have seen lately does not measure up to what God talks about as shepherds. It's much more rulership uh, than it is actually shepherding. And the shepherd is meant to find places for the sheep to rest, places for them to feed, places for them to water. He's meant to protect them. And I think that sometimes what happens is we roar at the sheep and pet the wolf. And the picture that I got this morning was Satan sitting in the front row with his legs crossed, with his portrayed in the usual way, the old tail with the fork on it tucked round there and the horns, arms crossed, smiling away at the pastor as he berates the sheep. And I thought to myself, yeah. Because though I don't get to hear much, I've heard some bad treatment of sheep uh, in the last, you know, few weeks. Um, they're called over the coals. They have to account for what they do. And it's not the way. It's the upside down. The shepherd is there to look after the sheep. That's the role of, that's the, role of, the, of the fivefold ministries is to bring them along. Look after them. Tend them. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Not beat my sheep. Feed them. Um, I'm not criticising what has gone on so far, but what I'm saying is God's doing a new thing. He said it in that word, I'm doing something new 
you haven't been here before, you're going to like this. But you can't bolt it onto what you've had already. This is a new thing. Permission granted. I'm looking forward to listening to those. I'm like salivating over a good meal, you know. And I'm thinking, I wonder just how much of what God's been feeding into my spirit Graham is actually going to come out with. Um, because when I used to go to the prophetic conferences there that he held for three years running at uh, Pilgrim Hall, the first one, I, my feet, I couldn't I couldn't keep up. I'm just uh, running and thinking, well, I don't, don't understand. But then I got cute and said, Father, bring me up to speed so that when I go there, I can understand what he's saying. And so the, the, the rest of the conferences went in because I understood where he was coming from because I'd spent time with the Lord. I'd saturated in what he was saying and could could see it uh, but it's one thing to have a book full of notes it's another thing to live things uh, and you cannot actually teach on any of this unless you've been there and walked it and done it several times round and round and round you have to live what you're teaching otherwise it's just words uh, it absolutely does no good at all yeah so Psalm 133 and 134. We'll have a look at. And really this leads us right into fellowship on the next series, doesn't it? Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. Running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commands the blessing, life forevermore. If what we're doing and what we're saying and what we're involved in isn't ministering life to us and those around us, it's ministering death. And I suggest we get out of it quick. Because it's either going to minister death or life to us. And when uh, Bob Mumford talks about... Um, life and freedom he talks a lot about the fact that you know what what is minist being ministered to you when you're in conversation to someone with someone what is it ministering to you life or death you soon know drains the daylights out of you when you're talking to someone who's ministering death to you you're thinking someone's opened a plug in my insides and it's just pouring out so the way to stop that is to put the blood and the cross between you and them and then exit as soon as you can. Because it's actually drawing out the spiritual life from, from within you. And when we're talking to each other, we're either ministering death or life. If it's not edifying you, then learn to say no nicely. Say to the person, look, excuse, I, I've, I've really got to go. I mean, where I am here, it, it was a time that I went through where people would keep me on the phone for, you, you name it just going on and on and I learned to say I can give you five minutes and I'm going to tell you so think about what you're going to say because you don't want to be getting to your point at the end of the five minutes when I say I've got to go uh, hard it was hard but for their sakes and for mine I had to say that's enough because it's not doing them any good to let them run off at the mouth we have to stop it but that's a, that's another another issue altogether so it's time to rise up and take what God's offering. And we need character and we need charisma. We really need both. 
Um, character is absolutely essential. If you have a gift without the character, you will destroy what you've built. Smith Wigglesworth used to say you can destroy in five minutes what has taken you five years to build. You have to be able to rule your own spirit. This is a lesson that I've seen from Moses. You know, at the end of the day, um, his problem was he couldn't rule his own spirit. He, he did get angry and exasperated with the sheep. And at the end of the day, it's, it cost him going in and seeing the promised land. But it's a process uh, in which you walk with the Holy Spirit and, and you recognize that you can't go on like this. Um, you've got to be able to, it says in Proverbs, doesn't it? Someone who can't rule their own spirit is like a city with the walls broken down because it can be easily overrun. And maybe in the charismatic church, we have gone overweighted on gifts. We're always on about what's your gift, what do you do, you know, all this, 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 this. And really it's character. And everything will flow from your relationship with the Lord. So it is absolutely imperative that you spend time with him. doesn't have to be hours and hours and hours, but it's got to be quality time. It's got to be time where you can go into the loo, switch off and be in his presence. Because it is through worship that we receive revelation. That is where the, when our hearts are tuned to worship him, revelation can't stop coming because you're in his presence. And so... You're automatically downloading revelation all the time um, because your heart is in a place of worship. It's your Mary. You remember we looked at it last week, Mary and Martha. Martha was comforted about. Martha is your soul. It's always wanting to be doing something, busy, 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 always agitating. Have to get that girl under control. But Mary is the one who's sitting at Jesus' feet and just wanting to receive whatever it is he wants to give. We have to learn to be receptors, and that's not, not easy for us. We have to learn to be like this. What do you call those little things, these pink things that stick? Deeny boppers? Deeny boppers. That's it. The Lord showed me early on, um, like a pair of those on the top of a person's head, and he said if they're turned down like this, all they're picking up is the negativity. And so if you've got negative thought patterns, guess what? It just goes round and round and round and down and down and down. If your antenna are up, you're picking up from him good stuff coming in. And so it makes total difference. So if you find your antenna are bent inwards a bit, just straighten them up and get them picking up your teeny, teeny boppers, teeny boppers, teeny boppers, straighten them up. So there we are. And the message really from this uh, prophecy of Graham's is uh, if we're going to get propelled into what he wants us to, and there is a propulsion going in, isn't there? If we're following this and doing what he's saying, humility in Psalm 131, passion in Psalm 132, we're propelled into what he's holding out to us. We can't help it. Uh, let go of whatever it is you hold and give him what he wants. Uh, I think in Graham's book he says virtually you come, you can come as as easy as you choose, because it is us that slow it down. If we won't let go because we consider hanging on to that thing is so important for us, and we can't let him have it because we can't see that what he's holding out is far much more treasure 
than that which we are holding on to will go round and round and round it till he finally prizes it out of our hands. But we've wasted so much time going round and round and round and round. And he'll have it in the end. So roll over, pause in the air. That's the position to adopt. Let him have it. Be gracious. He's going to take it. So be gracious and let him have it. Um, I did dip into Graham's book and I think it's going to be very, very useful. Uh, virtually one of the things he was saying was, he was saying, what is immaturity? What's it, what is? How do you recognise it? Well, you could recognise it by dilly-dallying, shilly-shallying and being childish, really. You know, going round it, as I've just said, and not giving him what he wants and playing with it, not believing what he's said. Um, and we've just got to come to the place where we say, Father, I'm just choosing to take you at your word, which is what he's saying there and that. And then we will see the acceleration. And I think there's an anointing here uh, for an acceleration in God. Get into the fast lane and go, go, go. Because he wants to bring us to the place where we identify like in that bridal partnership with his interests. Right now, we're probably identifying with our interests, what we think we need to be able to continue to get there to the end, hanging on by the skin of our teeth, reaching heaven, that's what's there. But that's not what it's about. It's about growing from a nepios, which is a child without speech, to a huios, which is a fully grown adult, so that you can do the things that he did. He said, greater works than these will you do, because I go to the Father. We are not in the position of doing the greater works, because we've done still most of us nepios. We've got lots of growing stages to go through, but there is an acceleration. And if we are coming into bridal partnership, we identify with what is important to him. And so because we're up there, not down here, we see from his perspective, come to the heights of Amana and look down from there, and we begin to see what actually is his priority rather than ours. We were talking about this, I think, last week. So you begin to live life in a different on a different plane with different glasses, seeing things from a different viewpoint. It's brilliant. Kate was here yesterday and she said, uh, it made me smile and I kept my mouth shut, which I thought was very, very circumspect and good of me. Oh, she said, she was talking about one of the churches in the town. Oh, well, they're doing, they are doing a good work. They are taking these children into Clacton, these jobs that were on the streets and taking them there and they're giving them boxing lessons and they're doing all this and that. and I thought there is something wrong with that but I can't figure out what it is right now but it will come to me and I thought this morning I know what it was what's the eternal value in that if it's not initiated by the Holy Spirit it's wood hay and stubble if that is not Holy Spirit initiated no matter how good a work that man thinks it is on that day and all the hard work of gathering up these youth and taking them into boxing but you see what's happening is the church does what it can and I said to her if they get a few dubious converts out of this guess what happened they will reproduce after their kind because carnal Christians make carnal Christians 
Carnal Christians don't make spiritual Christians. You can only reproduce after your kind. So guess what you lot are in for? If I'm going for the fast lane, I'm going to say, this is the way to go. So you're going to think, E, and the, the numbers might drop. <laughs> because I know in my heart the word is going to get sharper and, and stronger and this is the way. If you want the best, you've got to do it like this through the ringer, girls. Someone had a picture of me a few years ago. It was Louise Shaw. And she said, I saw you standing in front of an old-fashioned mangle. You know, the, the big rollers and her. So all of a sudden you went head first, fully clothed into this mangle. Well, I don't like it so far. She said, then she, you popped out the other side, she said. You just sort of went pop through the other side of this mangle. And you stood on your feet and just with your hands in the air and you were just clothed in a simple white garment. Everything else had squeezed off. I thought, thank you. Uh, so I waited for the squeeze to come and it duly did. I didn't realise I was in the middle of it, as you don't often. You just make your choices while you're in the middle of the squeeze, hope you're making the right ones and pop through the mangle. Bob Mumford. I listened to him about alive and free and what it means. And he says, well, he gets you in this narrow place and he squeezes you till everything pops off. I thought the mangle. I've been there, seen that, done that one, been through the mangle once. Don't doubt, go through it again if there's still bits that sticking on there that want to come off. But you see what I mean? You'll reproduce after your kind. You can't help it. Robins reproduce robins. Carnal Christians reproduce carnal Christians. But they ain't going to be the ones that are in bridal partnership. You, you get to choose what you want. I want to be in bridal partnership. I want to be in that place. Of, like Graham put a newsletter out years ago, stop praying like a widow, start praying like a bride. And I want to be in that place where I say, do you think we could have so-and-so, dear? And he says, well, no, why not? Of course we can. So we're in bridal partnership. I'm going to marry this man. I'm in partnership with him. I'm not over there doing my own thing. I'm in bridal partnership. And that is what the whole of the Christian walk is about, coming into bridal partnership. God's claiming the bride for his son right now. That's what this word is all about. Coming, ready or not. Coming, ready or not, bride. I'm after you. He says, I'm after you. I'm after you. You know, I mean, you could either enjoy this or endure it. Depends on how you feel. I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> I'm incurable, romantic, lovely, yes, and I'm not going to play hard to get either. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, it's absolutely priceless. I mean, unless we see God's heart towards us, is like a marriage relationship. Israel always missed it. They never saw it. They went off after other gods. They never, 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 never saw it. They always thought what they could get their hands on was what they wanted and it destroyed them. So I, I would just encourage you to just have a look and see if you're hanging on to something that the Lord is gently trying to prize off your fingers. So there's, a, there's an opportunity for an acceleration in God to get in the fast lane. Um, it reminded me this morning of a dream that I had years ago and I think it's okay to, well, it's that long ago, but it was a few years ago. I'm coming onto a motorway in a car. There's a queue of traffic on the inside lane. No, to down, no, to down, no, to down. On the middle lane, there's one or two pulling out round this here. 
I glanced over my shoulder, I came out, I went diagonally straight behind the lot and down the fast lane and straight past the old lot of them. Why, the, why that lane was empty, I have no idea. But I just went whoosh and straight for it on the outside. Um, you get to choose whether you're going to be in the, in the slow lane, the middle lane or the fast lane. I mean, you, you do, you get to choose. Uh, but if you want an exciting ride, the fast lane's the place to be. You know, you just never know what cause going to do next. Um, Graham, I can't remember what he says. He, he says, doesn't he, he's, he's not safe, but he's, you know, it's like Aslan, isn't it? Yeah, he's not safe because you never know what he's going to do. He's unpredictable. You don't know what he's going to do because he holds the map up here, you know. You've heard about that one, I had, didn't you? I said, Lord, can I have a look at the map? No, no. You keep walking. I'm like, I'm going, look, look at the map there. No. Every time I sort of went to squeeze and have a look, look the, the map went close to his chest so I couldn't see where he was going. <laughs> I had no idea he was going to bring me to the place I'm coming into or I seem to be in at the moment. Uh, there we are. Anyway. So if we don't identify with his interests, we will stay a child. And as I, as I said, there's things that he's holding out, he's issuing an invitation, rise up, rise up, rise up and come away. So Psalm 133 and 134. Um, I'd ask you to flip back to Psalm 84. The most of you weren't here for when we started uh, this series, but we started it actually in Psalm 84, um, I think it was um, Spurgeon who said that this was the Queen of Psalms. And lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord and my flesh. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Uh, but it's verse 5 that I want to look at. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you whose heart is set on pilgrimage. And that is literally, in the literal translation, in whose hearts are highways, single highways, the king's highway, and it leads into the presence of the king himself. That is literally what it means, that when your heart is set on pilgrimage, and it has to be set on pilgrimage, you have to decide about it, um, you go up into the presence and power of God. We were talking about that last night, weren't we, looking at Philippians again. We go up into the presence and power of God because we we can't do anything else. There is always that within us which draws us upwards and there's always that within us which draws us earthwards. So we get to choose. Just keep in mind that we're going to spend our eternity in, in the heavenly places, excuse me, not the earthly places, like to take a break for us, tick. Is that all right? Thank you. Right, Psalm 84 5. Um, we looked at verse 5 there. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you and in whose heart there is a highway, literally. Um, so, highways in our hearts. And blessed are those who have highways in their hearts. If we are prepared and eager to make progress up into the presence and power of God, uh, then what we've just been studying um, will help us to grow in, in Jesus. As I said, it's 
matters so much that these things are actually become real in our experience and not just head knowledge and books full of information. Because um, God, as Graham says, delights to make it real in your experience, which means that it gets hard. Because you learn something, you think, wow. And then suddenly you're slapped into a circumstance and you cannot understand what it's all about. And he's just saying, I'm just making it real for you. This is this is that, you know, and you think I liked it when it was in my book, and I could read it and then just have a have a warm fuzzy feeling and then <laughs> put it down again and go off and do me knitting. I liked it like that. <laughs> so if we're prepared and eager to make progress up into the presence and power of God, then this series of studies in the Psalms have been a study in practical lessons in maturity as we grow up in Jesus because it matters greatly to God that we mature and become conformed to the image of his son. So before we actually go into the last two psalms, let's just review some of the lessons that we uh, learnt. Psalm 120 was our starting place. Uh, though we though we actually referred to Psalm 84, Psalm 120 is the first of the Psalms of Ascent. And that is the beginning place of pilgrimage. And that beginning place was to have a deep desire to be close to God. We saw from that that the pilgrimage was not always an easy one. It contains hardship, but that God responds to our faithfulness. We saw that we may go through valleys of tears, but God turns them into valleys of blessing as we press on in our pilgrimage. We saw that it was necessary to make a decision to leave the edge of the Christian experience and go right into the, exper right into the experience and the very presence of God. There's an awful lot of Christians that uh, come within the remit of the tabernacle as it were if you imagine the tabernacle in the wilderness but they never get any further than just in the perimeter in the court of the Gentiles they don't if, uh, as regards the temple they don't get any further they certainly don't get onto the altar to offer themselves up go through the labor of washing into the holy place and hence into the most holy place we're meant to be in the most holy place but it is a journey from the outer court and through those you know we've got those stops on the way and the labor of washing is something we have to go through all the time and that's the word of God it's both a labor it's the washing place and it's a mirror you know the labor was made from the women's mirrors they had these bronze mirrors that were polished so they could see themselves and those were the things that were used to make the labor where they washed the priests washed themselves before they went into the holy place um, when Paul says we now we see as in a mirror dimly what he was referring to was they didn't have mirrors like we have that you can see yourself clearly in these were a dim reflection of yourself because it was a bit of polished brass or bronze um, so we need all those steps and constantly washing ourselves in the water of the word. We cannot, I've heard that Follies actually are now saying you need to get into the word, which is very interesting and I thought that's fine, are you going to show them how to do it? 
It's no good sending someone away and saying, get into the word, because they won't have a clue how to unpick it. It's almost unkind because uh, they obviously know from the Lord that that's what needs to happen next, that the spirit and the word need to come together. Um, but, uh, I can't make judgments really on that, but it's sad if that's what they're saying, is just to go get into the word, get into the word, because you can't unless you've got someone leading you, teaching you how to, that's what God puts teachers in the body for, so that you will understand and learn how to actually unpick the word for yourself. Because as I've said so many times before, we come at it with a Western viewpoint and we cannot come at a, a Hebrew book from a Western viewpoint. We must understand the minds to which this thing was written so that we can understand the nuances of what's being said. Otherwise, we, we won't miss it completely. Because we'll, we'll just stamp over it what our understanding is and thus miss the purposes of God. It's interesting that scripture that was in that prophecy about when I bring you into lands that you didn't, houses that you didn't build. When I read that this morning, I read it recently because it's a part of, I read through the Bible in a year and it's part of what I was reading and, it, but it went plop in me this morning. I thought, Father, this is a house that we didn't build and these are trees in the garden that we didn't plant and we're eating the fruit and we're living in the house and we are just like the Israelites, brought into a place of plenty. Just be sure you don't forget the Lord when he brings you into this, it says. So it's a time to look at what you, you do have, not what you don't have, and start really developing an attitude of gratitude for what, you, what God has given to you. And looking at the fact that he has actually brought you into this thing. Um, you know, grumblers and complainers nil, covenant, no, grumblers and complainers ten, covenant keepers nil. <laughs> Score. Uh, so we saw that it was necessary to make this decision uh, to leave the edge of the Christian experience and go right in to the very presence of God. It's interesting that, that right at the end of this, this prophecy has come, which ends, looks like a pair of bookends. It's put a bookend on the whole thing. It's come in right where we started in the first place. Uh, and the end of it is saying the same thing. And we saw that if we were going to make progress on our pilgrimage, one of the things we need to do is to learn to control our tongue and guard our speech. Use our tongue to praise God and build others, to witness to the truth in word as well as deed. And then we saw that in Psalm 121 that distress was real in this world and that we must see God in the present circumstances. We must have faith for now because without faith it is impossible to please him. And we must let distress propel us towards him and not separate us from God. We saw that God is our source of help. He is the only source and as I... Uh, said to someone recently run to him don't run away from him he's the only place and we learnt that to reach the goal we must focus our lives on what are God's priorities and make them our priorities he does not bit of revelation work to our priorities this is why we get disappointed in prayer and people say things like someone said to me the other day, I'm disappointed in God. 
Well, you're disappointed because you'd had a wrong expectation. You had thought, well, if this is the case, that's got to be the case. And then it didn't turn out that way, and we are disappointed. Um, it needs backbone, not wishbone, to walk this walk. And we found in Psalm 122 that the journey is not a lone one on our own, but it's one that we make together. It's very interesting because this is really leading us right into what I want to start looking at, which is fellowship. It's a community journey. In Psalm 122, let us go up to the house of the Lord. The greatest spiritual progress comes in community and not in isolation. The body of believers are the city of God, the church which is being built with living stones. Whistle stop tour we're doing here. Psalms 123 and 124. We saw that these psalms contain one of the hardest lessons of pilgrimage, that of waiting on the Lord. Mostly I think we wait for the Lord, not on him. Because in our human thinking, we're waiting for him to do something. Total difference between that and waiting on him. When we wait on him, we are waiting for him to initiate something. When we're waiting for him, we're waiting for him to do something. And the thing that grieves my heart the most is God's on the move. That's it. And I think, for me, that sounds like the biggest presumption ever. Because in our finite, tiny minds, we suddenly decide that he has roused himself on our behalf. And I'm thinking, it's a good job I'm not God. There'd be the fire coming out. <laughs> you know not what spirit you are. <laughs> sounds of thunder. So waiting on the Lord. We must have a steadfast endurance and a confident expectation that God will act on our behalf. And the greatest prayer of faith is the one that says, Thy will be done. And I believe it's the hardest one to pray. You're in there, you've got this situation, you don't know how it's going to come out, you know what you want. But at the end of the day, the place of submission is not what I want, but what you want. And that is a place of peace, because I think it's Joyce Mayer that says you can't cast your care until you are satisfied that the result and the response that God gives you is okay. Because you cast your care hoping that it will come out the way you want. Otherwise, we very rarely cast it. But casting your care really means I cast it, and whether it comes out the way I want or the way or not doesn't matter. That is really letting go of it. Trust in him with whatever the outcome is. Because you know that whatever the outcome is, is going to be his will and it will be best. But up here, the answer I can see is I need this. So I'm casting my care, but the understanding is that at the end of the day, I'm having that. <laughs> Not cast our care at all. So we keep going back to it and praying a bit more. 
because we've actually not sought him to find out what his will is in the matter in the first place. If that's what this word is talking about, this word is that Graham has put there is you wait for him, you get from him what he wants to do, you pray and you know it's going to happen. That is the way it works. One of the most difficult times for me is when God says to me, what do you want? And I'm thinking, search me. Because you know what's best in this situation and you know what you want to do in this situation. There are times when he just says, ask me. And I'm racking my brains then thinking, what's the best? But what's beyond the best that God actually wants to do? Because <laughs> I'm wanting what he wants to do in it. But there are times when he says, what do you want? hardest I prayed for someone the other night um, over the phone and I thought I'll go away and I'll seek the Lord and, and find out what he wants to do in this um, and then when I was nothing, nothing, nothing and I feel that I've prayed what he wants to do because I can't get beyond what I asked for uh, it was Cathy, you know Cathy Stewart? She's having trouble with her eyes, and she, apparently she's had 17 years like remission, really. Uh, she's got a lot of holes in her retina, uh, and she's had laser treatment. Um, but now they've said she's got a cataract growing, and she's very frightened because the risk of doing the extraction is very high. has to be done at exactly the right moment, otherwise it will tear the retina and that will be that so she's 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 just she was in such a state bless her so i said look let's pray um this was the one who was disappointed um because she felt that he'd given her this job to do and and therefore if he'd given her a job to do that it's all going to be plain sailing i said look well i'll tell you what i want to pray i want to pray that he will arrest the growth right now and that it will melt that which is there already. So that when you go back next time, they'll say, well, I can't explain it, but the cataract is gone. She couldn't, she said, I can't, I can't, you know, come into line with it. I said, well, okay, well, I'll pray it anyway. And then I'll go away and I'll seek the Lord and see what else he wants to say or what he wants to do. Because that was praying from, my, from what I wanted to see her have. You know, so, uh-huh. But so far, there's been no improvement on that prayer. And I think if he, if he answers that, that will be what is required. And that prophecy says, virtually, you will ask and you will receive. So all I need now is my faith to come up behind it that, that's <laughs> that I've actually hit, hit the bingo on that one. Um, that was interesting. Like when Joyce had this thing on her hand, I knew exactly how to pray for it because I said, how do I pray for this thing? Pray for it. And that's what we saw. But it's waiting on him, bringing ourselves to a place of peace when everything is absolutely... Graham's classic story, I think this is a classic story. He went to America, a friend of his, just got the delivery of this brand new Jag. So Graham and his wife and the kids, he says, you take it, you drive it to church with the family in it, brilliant. 
as they are going across an intersection there, someone shoots the lights straight into the brand new Jack. And uh, Graham said all he could hear in the back was his wife and the children praying in tongues. That's all he could And he was apparently so calm, I thought, I wonder what the fella who owned the Jag was like. <laughs> Nobody was hurt, but it probably wrote the thing off. It's, it's, you know, this determination to bring ourselves to peace. Joyce and I had a... Uh, an example of it the other the other day, Joyce was getting overwhelmed, and so I said, "Okay, let's look at it. What what is it that's overwhelming? Oh, well, there's the garden, there's the this, there's that." It was at the weekend when when uh, you know we were quiet because it was Easter weekend, and I said, "You know, sweetheart, you've got to push away the fear, because the enemy was making her live not in the day, but in the tomorrow and the next day, and the grass growing and the weeds growing." He was projecting to her how she wouldn't be able to cope with it. That's it. Yeah. So I said, look, just let the Lord show you when he wants you to go out there. Be prompted by the Holy Spirit. When he says go, go. When he says do, do. And it will get done because you'll be working to his priorities. Net result, she sat down, I think, and rested a lot that day. The next day, she's like a whirly dervish out there. She said to me, I've got so much done. Oh, well, quel surprise, as a friend of ours would say. Remember Martin, quel surprise. God's priorities, if we try, like you were saying about our dear friend, always tired. Why is she tired? Because nothing is committed to the Lord. Commit your works to him and your thoughts will be established. So in the morning you say, Father, umpteen things to do don't know where to start commit my works to you establish my thoughts you'll find yourself going from one thing to the other it'll get done it'll get dealt with and the things that do not need doing won't get done doesn't mean you're going to achieve everything you thought you needed to but what it does mean is that you will work to his priorities there'll be enough time so when you find yourself wading through treacle, you're tired all the time, somewhere you're out of sync. So you need to start looking, okay, Father, I get the message. What am I doing that I didn't ought to be doing? What am I doing in my own strength that is absolutely exhausting me? Because he will let that happen so that he draws attention to the fact that there's an easier way of doing this thing. I mean, in the natural, the amount of of studying and listening and waiting and to to get out just one of the baton meetings I wouldn't have time for. The diary's as full as it's ever been. I write keep free across something and then someone rings up and says, I'm desperate and I think okay, we'll fit that in. Because as Kate said, the time is short but there's enough time. So if your time is all handed over to him and it's the only commodity we have, he will pace you in the things you've got to do. Um, I hopefully have got the next baton in the can. The one after that is pretty well in the can. I'm looking towards now a little bit towards the 5th of May because I don't think I've got an awful lot to say there. 
I'm looking towards the school of in the summer school. But first of all, I was agitated. I've got to get a couple of steps ahead so that I'm working on not that one, but that one, so that I'll have it all ready. But God luck just slowed me down. You need to look at things, read things, establish things, let it soak in, and then it will just fall off the ends of your fingers. So the time spent actually doing this stuff is much more profitable because I know where I want to go to pick up the points that people have made instead of rewriting it and rewriting it. You know, I'm, I'm getting better at it because it's hopeless at first. Everything Great, s s move that bit to in there. Oh, it's still not in the right place. You know, oh, terrible. But it's getting better because God's teaching me to teach. Because I don't know how. Anyway, two more minutes. So thy will be done. He's called us to servanthood. Or said more radically, God has called us to slavery. True liberty actually only comes in slavery to Jesus. Only then can God do great things through us. Paul says in a number of occasions, a slave, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He, was, he allowed himself to be captured. He had just allowed himself to be taken prisoner. He wasn't anybody's prisoner but Jesus. He might have looked as if he was, but he wasn't. So Psalm 125, and we saw that if we're to be established in God and grow into maturity, we must learn the lesson of trusting God and having confidence in God based on who he is, based on his character. Not on who we think he is, but who he is. So often people get disillusioned in God because they've had an illusion in the first place. They haven't actually seen him as he really is. And believe me, whatever you imagine him to be, he is exceedingly abundantly above that. When he starts to reveal who he actually is to you, which is what he wants you to see, you can throw away all your cardboard cutouts of who you thought God was. He is just so absolutely, exceedingly, abundantly, amazingly himself. It, words fail. As somebody came here once and she said, I've never heard anyone speak about God the way you do. You know. And I thought, well, I don't understand. <laughs> why, why, why uh, were I was speechless because I didn't understand why she didn't understand. But there we are. She went away disappointed lady again because he didn't do what she wanted. Didn't come up to her expectations. Guess who was out of line? <laughs> Bless her heart. That was the first time she came. The second time she came, she was, what's Joyce say, chewing nails and spitting rust. My, 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 my. My, my, my. She really was. Bless her heart. So there is a confidence that God will respond to our need and we must trust him wholly. Uh, young Deborah, you know, she came the other Monday night and she thought there was an all-night garage. She comes over from Hackney in a little escort and she thought there was an all-night garage, which there should have been, Summerfields, up the road here by the hop farm. So we heard later that she went up the road by the hop farm, 10 o'clock, half past 10 at night, because it's supposed to be all night, isn't it? Shut. 
So she drove very carefully all the way back to Hackney on an empty tank. <laughs> Someone said to her, why did you drive slowly? Well, in case I ran out, but if you hadn't got any way. <laughs> We can trust him fully because he is for us. Does, do you find that hard to believe? As you know, I did for years. He was for everybody else. Like we'd gaily sing, if God be for us, who can be against us? Glory to his name. Roger Price. But, yeah... But I'm looking for the I'm looking for the small print. You know what have I got to do to uh, qualify for this? But now I know he's for me. But that doesn't mean that nothing untoward happens to me. It means he's still for me, even if he's allowing it. And if he's allowing it, he's allowing it for a purpose. So that's okay. Don't like it, but it's okay. And he will walk with me through it. He's on our side, and because of his character, we can trust him. So I think really it would be kind if I stopped there. <laughs> so God bless you, and thank you for listening.